Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101. This is Matthew Aaron. And today we have a very special guest, Jesse Limegruber, the CEO and co-founder of Bloom. What is Bloom, you ask? Well, in about a minute and a half, we're going to tell you all about it. But before we go into talking about Jesse, please, if you enjoy this show, go to iTunes, rate us, leave us a comment. This helps us move to the top of the pack of all the crypto shows to help people find us a lot better. So please go to iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It's very much appreciated. And like all of the other interviews, today's music was chosen by Jesse. Well, the songs weren't, but the artists were. I chose the songs myself, and we will let you know who that is and put links in the description. And without further ado, Jesse Limegruber of Bloom. So, Jesse, first things first, welcome to Crypto 101. Thank you very much for coming on the show. And Thank you. We'll just start it with an icebreaker. Who are you? Why are you here? Why are we talking right now? Yeah, so thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Jesse. I am one of the founders of Bloom. Um, Bloom is bringing credit scores to the blockchain. It's something uh, I've been working on with some friends for, for quite some time. I studied at Stanford. I studied computer science at Stanford with a couple friends of mine. Uh, they founded Stanford Bitcoin Group uh, back in uh, early 2013. All right. And since then, blockchains obviously developed a lot. They built uh, one of the main companies that does KYC and compliance for. Well, what is KYC? Uh, know your customer. It's uh, right. it's an important uh, uh, regulatory compliant thing for uh, any sort of financial institution. And over the last few years, we've realized that there's uh, actually a ton of problems with credit around the world. Uh, in some places, like in China, your political affiliation can influence your credit score. Mm -hmm. uh, in the UK, if you're not registered to vote, you don't have a credit score. Around the world, um, you know things like your political parties influence it, where you live influences it. A lot of factors that shouldn't matter matter. And crypto has proven to be able to decentralize a lot of these systems, make them more fair, make them more global. Uh, we're aiming to make credit scores more fair and more global by bringing them over to the blockchain. Okay, so I'm an average dude. I'm working nine to five, or I'm a plumber, or I'm a bartender, and you know I'm just doing my thing. Make, I don't know, $2,000, $3,000 a month. What would this do for me, and why would I care? Yeah, that's a great question. So today, in the United States at least, and in most countries, your credit is backwards looking. That means that you have to have credit and you have to have debt in order to have a high score. Okay. And a lot of financially savvy people and a lot of fiscally responsible people opt to not take on loans and not to take on more debt than they can afford. It's a good thing uh, to not take on debt. But what happens is a lot of times these people get married, they want to start a family, they need a loan for a car. But they haven't ever taken out a credit card. And the, about two-thirds of millennials don't even have credit cards. And so there's about 50 million people in the U.S. that aren't able to get any sort of material loan simply because they haven't really had credit history. Mm -hmm. And they're really kind of left out of the financial uh, system. So average dude needs credit to buy his house, you know, buy a car, do his things, go on vacation, whatever, you know, just normal, normal credit. What is different between the blockchain, what you're trying to say, and the system, the FICO system that, that's right now? Yep. Yeah, so, so FICO scored on like 90% of loans uh, or 90% of lenders use FICO rather. And 
it doesn't take into account a lot of the factors that actually are available today. It was built in the 1970s with limited data available, and at the time it was great. But now we have things like you know utility bill records, cell phone records, access to your bank account data. We've got a lot more signals other than debt signals. Mm-hmm. And that's only part of the problem. FICO doesn't work across borders. So if you move to a new country, your, your score resets. It takes seven years to build up a full credit profile. Um, and most importantly, it's, it's really just controlled by one organization. FICO is basically a monopoly. And the, the government and big banks work with FICO to make aspects of the score that are favorable to the government and the big banks, not exactly favorable to the borrower. So we're trying to make it favorable to everyone and incorporate the new data that's not yet available in the current system. Okay, so this brings me to an obvious question. Blockchain, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Vertcoin, whatever coin you're talking about to be the currency maybe in the next, you know, whatever years. Kind of what we're all looking forward to. We're looking forward to the Bitcoin to go buy bread or the Litecoin to go have a beer at the pub. Do you think or would your would Bloom be part of that system? Or would it be using the existing system? What I mean by that is, would your credit score on the blockchain be able to work with Bitcoin so I can get a loan of Bitcoin? That's a great question. So, you know, just the question is, you know, is this is this separate from uh, the current, you know, Bitcoin ecosystem? Or does it work with, uh, you know, traditional credit systems? And how does that tie together? Is that right? Is that the question? Sorry. You you did it way better than I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. We, we think most loans today are done in fiat. They're done in you know, United States dollars or the equivalent currency, um, you know, wherever you are in the world. Right. Crypto loans, for the most part, are in their infancy because crypto is essentially anonymous. So if you don't know who you're giving the loan to, there's nothing to protect your loan from ever getting paid back. So at the start, most of our users are going to be traditional lenders. Right. Um, but the system works well for both of them. And we, we hope that that we get, you know, crypto loans happening on the system as well. Uh, and if we can build up the that ecosystem, that's that's even better. But at the start, most of the lenders that are looking to use us now are, are traditional lenders. So would that be something that Bloom would be involved, you'd be involved involved with to bring maybe the Bitcoin lenders in, into it? Or is that sort of like a third-party separate entity? We are guiding the protocol. Mm-hmm. So we're not uh, lending any money, just to be clear. Um, and I know that wasn't your question, but we we right. are really, you know, as you said, we're guiding lenders to the system. So mm-hmm. we are going to build uh, the resources, the guides, the you know support infrastructure to bring all of the traditional lenders over, which includes crypto lenders as well. This is huge. You know, the more and more I talk to people, the more and more I get involved with blockchain, I just see that the potential for blockchain is endless. And besides Bloom, besides what you're doing. What do you think is some of the most exciting things in crypto right now? Great question. I mean, the whole thing's exciting, right? We, we, for the first time, you know, Bitcoin brought to the world a global currency. It brought, you know, to the world a, a currency that isn't controlled by governments that can't be stopped. And what Ethereum has brought to the world is global companies, companies that aren't governed by one central organization mm-hmm. or one central board. And with this, you can do a lot of really cool things. You can build, uh, you know, you can port over traditional infrastructure that's traditionally held by banks and governments. You can right. port over cross-border companies. Some of my favorite uh, favorite ones are 
uh, Aragon, which is a protocol for decentralizing uh, governance. Uh, basically, it's a protocol to make distributed companies, make companies that don't have a board of directors or you know a CEO, which I just think is fascinating. District OX is a protocol for distributing marketplaces. So Uber, Airbnb, you know, these are multi-billion dollar marketplaces, which are great. They're they're sort of decentralized, but 20, 30 percent of the marketplace still goes back to the corporation. Right. And so District Zero X, uh, you can actually build marketplaces that are completely decentralized, uh, which that's like, a I don't know how many billions of dollars there are in marketplaces. Um, Augur is a decentralized prediction marketplace, right? So, you, you know, you have your traditional sports betting, which is kind of like a prediction marketplace, but there's really no way to take a look at what the crowd thinks on what's going to happen on events. So on Augur, you can predict and bet on the outcome of events, which literally gets you live odds on how likely something is to happen, how likely, you know, Trump is to win the presidency. That's obviously right. in the past, but, you know, things like that you can bet on on Augur. So these are all just fascinating companies that wouldn't have been possible without Ethereum and, and couldn't even have been conceived of just five years ago. You know, you actually just made me think of another question for Bloom. You talked about traditional institutions, and I think we just had an Equifax huge credit hack the other day. <laughs> And you're saying credit, you're saying Bloom, you're, I see Equifax. Can you tell me a little more how that can work together? Yeah, so Equifax you know, is one of the big three credit bureaus. They uh, control data on hundreds of millions of Americans, very private data, very personal data, social security number, credit history, credit files, you know, everything personal but to you. Before, before we go into that, can you tell me and tell the, the average person, what can people do with that data? Oh, they can um, apply for a loan in your name. They can... Um, they can steal your identity, which means they could ruin your credit. Um, but aside from that, you know, with personal information, they oftentimes can port your phone numbers over. They can reset your passwords at various, uh, you know, accounts. Like Apple's a little bit more sensitive to it now, but companies like Apple oftentimes let you reset your password if you can verify your passport and you know SSN. And so it makes your entire security of your life, not just the security of your credit, but the entire what is you, your personal accounts, your credit vulnerable. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a person, I just jump in if I hear you know, <laughs> something that I just want to get in on. So with Bloom, you can't steal the, because you can't steal the data, you can't steal somebody's identity? Exactly. Uh, you, you can't, I mean, I don't want to say never, there's obviously weaknesses in every protocol, but unlike Equifax, Bloom doesn't store personal information anymore. On a big not database. database. Okay. Right. So is it decentralized? Completely decentralized. And okay, so with like wallets, and I'm, again, I'm sorry for, for interrupting, um, <laughs> but with like wallets and things like that, I control my private keys. Is it sort of one of those things? And if somebody has my private key, then they can have my data? If they have your private key, there's some issues with that. So you don't want to get your private key leaked. But even if they did have your private key, there's still actually layers of protection from them having access to your data and information. The layers are thin. If they have your private key, there's, there's some problems. Right. But uh, even if they have your private key, it's still better than the current infrastructure today. And what if you lose your private key? Because if I lose my private key, I, have, I, I lose my Bitcoin. <laughs> sort of, yeah. And if you lose your private key on Bloom, you kind of lose your identity. So there are mechanisms to reset it. Um, you I basically see. have to go through the ID verification process again. I see. Uh, we have a system to you know submit your documents, verify who you are, and that's how you get assigned your Bloom ID. You just have to re-go through that process again. Okay, it so might it's, be point, it's a pain in the ass, but it's not impossible. Exactly. Okay, exactly. I, I got you. Okay, can you just keep going with the Equifax thing? I'm sorry. 
you know, when we were kind of, we've been working on Bloom for quite some time. Like I mentioned in the intro, you know, my co-founders have been in the identity space for, for years. And so when we talked about the, the weaknesses of having data stored in a central location, everyone thought like, yeah, but like they're, they're never going to get hacked, you know, like they're Equifax, right? right? You know, and now we've seen that they, they can get hacked. And we've actually seen that the, the drawbacks of that are massive. They're facing a $70 billion lawsuit. They're, they're replacing the CEO. It's going to change the whole way social security numbers are used in the U.S. now for, for the better, I think. But the concept of having your social security number basically being the private key for your life. Mm-hmm. Like imagine I'm a lender and I say, hey, uh, I need your Facebook password so I can verify who you are. You'd say, no way, except your social security number is even worse because unlike right. your Facebook where having your social security number gives you access to like your identity and your credit right. file. And that's, that's a very good point. And the Equifax hack really exposed the weaknesses. It's not Equifax's fault. It, it's just the fault of centralization. It really exposed the weaknesses of centralization. Do you think that other people are going to try getting this game and there's going to be a battle for who controls the uh, this aspect of it? And it, would this aspect, even though it's decentralized, still be more of a big data sort of structure i see you yeah. using the bows too yeah yeah i just put them <laughs> good, on good man <laughs> <laughs> um so there are a lot of players getting involved in the decentralization of identity um civic uh uport and, and lots more you know just coming up and bloom is a protocol designed to integrate with all of these players so there are three main parts of bloom uh bloom id which is our identity system bloom iq which is our system for pulling in all of the signals and data. It's like our data warehouse. Right. And then Bloom score, which takes Bloom ID and Bloom IQ and gives you a credit score. Mm-hmm. And in all of these cases, Bloom actually isn't responsible for any of the components. Bloom ID partners with lots of third-party trusted identity providers. Bloom IQ partners with lots of third-party data providers. And Bloom score is just an algorithm that the network decides on. And so, you know, to your question, we encourage as many people as possible to get involved in decentralization of identity and data because they could actually now have a very viable business by partnering with Bloom and in some ways selling that data to the Bloom network. So then you definitely see synergies in the future with, with other crypto companies like Civic. Yeah, there's, there's huge synergies. We haven't talked with um, you know, Civic directly, but uh, companies like them and other people building similar identity products are there's there's 100% synergies between us and their product. All right, so I'm going to get off of Bloom for a little bit and and I just want to know because people that are in the game are in the game for a reason. So what are you doing in the market these days? Are you trading yeah. on Bittrex? Are you are you, are you slinging around uh, Quantum? What are you doing? <laughs> Not quite. I I'm an early Bitcoin holder. I've I've held Bitcoin since since 2012, so obviously I've experienced some of the, you know, the upside in the market. But for the most most part I, I'm not really like day trading or anything like that. I'm I'm sort of I have one strategy which is to hold. So okay. uh, I I've, I've been long for 5 years and I'm going to easily be long for another 5 more. But um you know, the the main thing for me, like I've wanted to get a mortgage recently. I wanted to buy a house. I I think I can afford it. I I certainly you know have have some crypto gains but that stuff doesn't matter to the banks they they would not approve me for a mortgage they wouldn't even consider me for a mortgage because they didn't care how much i had in my bank account or what income i made or the fact that i had a job they just cared that i didn't have 7 years of credit history oh wow and yeah. i was unable to get a mortgage i'm i'm forced i'm sitting in my place right now paying rent when i'd much rather own the place but I couldn't because I don't have seven years of history. And so that was probably 
outside of the fact that crypto itself is entirely just a fascinating market to be in, the, the fact that we live in a world where you can prove basically beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're you know, deserving of something and just the system doesn't allow for it was the sole main catalyst on why I started working on this. Keeping into the market and stuff like that, what do you think of the current condition of the market? Do you think there's a lot of FUD hype? Do you think that uh, Bitcoin's price is um, over, <laughs> overinflated? Well, how do you think this is going? Uh, yeah, the market is, uh, it's obviously, it's a hectic market. It's a very volatile market. Um, I think over the long run, where we are today is going to look, you know, super early. But I definitely think there's there's definitely a lot of volatility on the horizon. You know, we, we see what happens in China. We see what happens in Korea when, when state governments, you know, don't like something, don't have control of something. Uh, it definitely can contribute some, some market volatility. Fortunately, there's a lot of regulatory uh, compliance that's now developing. Uh, that's good. A lot of people say that's bad for Bitcoin. That's, that's good. It's better to have the government on your side than against you. Right. And so... I think we're going to approach a period of stability in the next year, but until then, I think there's a lot of volatility. So that's why I like my strategy of holding. But I, I'd still say that you know, if you're in it for the long run, now's a good time to jump in. Uh, a lot of these lead developers or founders of cryptocurrencies, currencies in general, maybe not uh, working with the blockchain or blockchain technology, mm -hmm. are in it because they want to see an alternative to the government, alternative to the Fed per se. What do you think about that? Is that? Are you in with that line of thinking or are you just saying not at some like, you know, uh, aluminum tinfoil hat uh, wearing dudes? And <laughs> I am fascinated by macroeconomics and the Federal Reserve. I think the Federal Reserve is a brilliant innovation. I think it is a wonderful creation of... Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Financial markets, but I think there's a lot of drawbacks to it. It's basically controlled by 12 people, and even out of those 12 people, it's basically controlled by one person, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that there's one person in the world that can inflate billions of dollars in currency, essentially print money, um, you know, buy billions of dollars in bonds, you know, with no really oversight at all. It's pretty crazy to me. I don't think the Federal Reserve is going away anytime soon, but I think it's nice that there is growing alternatives. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to just jump back to Bloom for a little bit with this. So if you have 
your credit scores and everything on the blockchain and it's decentralized, of course, that blockchain is going to have to be maintained. So people yep. have to run you know, nodes and you're going to have to have them all over the world and distributed. What's going to give people incentive to run those? And how is Bloom going to be set up? Is Bloom uh, something that's out there right now or is it coming in the future or... Great question. So we're built on Ethereum blockchain. So okay. the Ethereum uh, maintain, you know, people who maintain the Ethereum blockchain will fortunately maintain Bloom. We're also okay. built on IPFS. Um, so IPFS is, you know, similar to a blockchain in that it's decentralized internet, decentralized file storage. And IPFS, so, please. Yes. What, what's the whole of it? It stands for Interplanetary File System. Uh, okay. It was built by uh, Stanford engineers and it is the future of file storage, it lets you host files and host information without having to be reliant on a central party or central server. You, what's, your, what's your bachelor's degree in? Uh, I was studying computer science at Stanford. I dropped out. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Is it to yeah. do Bloom? Um, I, I actually, to work on my last startup, I, I'm, uh, I built a uh, analytics and social, uh, a social analytics company for large Fortune 500 brands. Uh, we've got customers like Walmart, Microsoft, Amazon. So I dropped out to work on that. It seems like a lot of people go to Harvard or Stanford, get it in there, drop off. Are you too smart for Stanford or... <laughs> Um, you know, I I actually love Stanford. I, I joined the Teal Fellowship, which is a group that uh, Peter Teal uh, started. Right. To... Vitalik was one of the... Yeah, Vitalik was a Teal Fellow. Joey okay. Krug from Augur is a Teal Fellow. Okay. Uh, there's there's a, a lot of... It's kind of like a mini crypto ecosystem. Okay. But um, And a lot of people in that group and a lot of people always ask me, like, what's it like dropping out of Stanford? Like, do you hate education? I actually like education, but I think, you know, where, where I was... Um, I already raised money while I was in school, and right. so it didn't exactly make sense to be talking about how to theoretically want to run a company when I was trying to run an actual company. Right, totally. The opportunity was there, so why not? You could always go back to school. Yeah, Stanford has an excellent leave of absence policy. I'm technically on leave of absence, and I, I anticipate going back someday. Right on, man. Is there anything that you want to cover? I have a couple more questions, uh, probably more personal, and is there anything that we missed so far? Uh, what's your take on on the current market conditions? My take on the current market conditions. Well, I, I always start with the disclaimer that I'm a I'm a novice. I do this as a strict way to help people get involved into cryptocurrency, and so I really don't try to make um, you know assumptions or anything. I think that I'm definitely long on Bitcoin and uh, you know the whole the whole market. I think that is the future or us. I would not be you know interviewing people like you and trying to learn more and more about blockchain and the technology behind it. Uh, but I do think that regulation is needed, and I don't want it to come from a government or a government entities. So we're very you know um, pieced out where you know you have the regulations for the United States for ICOs and in China and Russia and you know all these different countries where you have to be compliant to all these different laws and I don't want to see that you know it's just becomes more like you know you know getting an IPO or, or what have you so it's really piecing people out so I think that this whole you know ecosystems that that's developing is very um welcoming to the average individual that wants to start something bigger than himself with that said I really am disappointed in the crypto community for not seeing that first and some of the leaders and uh, the opinion leaders of the community not taking the lead to regulate itself internally. Mm. And I would really like to see that people like Vitalik or Charlie or, you know, all these people that are very in front of, you know, the face of it come around and, you know, talk to Poloniex and Bittrex and Kraken and any ICOs and make a protocol that says, you know, you have to be complied to our standards to start playing in the game so therefore we weed out all the you know the 
the uh, you know the bad actors yeah. and you know regulate it ourselves so that the government doesn't have anything to look at. So if everybody, you know, if if there if people are not losing shit tons of money on an ICO and a scam, then the government has nothing to say. But we're just like yep. letting this billions of dollar enterprise just roll, <laughs> you know, with no regulation, and then everybody's surprised and saying, "Oh, well, why did they block it in China?" Well, no shit, they blocked it in China. <laughs> it's actually a, a fantastic point that that's not discussed enough. In that, you know, the the crypto community it was built so much on you know anti regulation, anti government that they basically allowed anything to happen. And I think in some on one hand that's good, you know, leaving it to the people and, and letting it you know fend for itself. But on the other hand, the leaders of the community they they do make a lot of decisions, protocol level decisions. They do mm-hmm. voice their opinion on a lot, but they tend to stay out of you know a lot of the discussions that would help make cryptocurrency more mainstream. Which, um, which I think is a very, I, very big shame. And I think that you know with the Ethereum platform with smart contracts, I would assume that. A smart constitution could be, you know, scripted and written yep. to make people comply it for, a, you know, in a certain way to be, you know, playing in this ecosystem. And I just feel that it's a big fail. And you could, it doesn't have to be centralized. It could be a decentralized community that is, you know, yeah. Like, they could. It could even be an opt-in system where you could still yep. build your own, you know, thing if you wanted to, but you could opt in to comply with the standards that the, you know, the foundation lets out. I think there's room for that in the market and. Uh, there are some people doing some things like that. Consensus has laid out best practices for token sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people from the Ethereum Foundation have, you know, voiced their opinions, but there isn't a unified global standard that you can opt into that automatically makes you compliant. And it is much needed. I agree. Well, anyway, so that's my my opinion of uh, the market right yeah. now. I think that's the, the vol- it's a great point. I think the volatility and all that stuff is what makes it fun. I mean, I don't think that I would want it to, you know, totally not be wild west. Because that's what's getting people involved is the the opportunity that I have never seen and I don't think anybody will ever see again in their lifetime or other lifetimes the ability to be in Bitcoin from you know 2009 or whenever you got in and have a have a stacked bank account out of <laughs> thin air for the most part. I mean, I'm not want to say thin air because there's a lot of work and holding. <laughs> it is it is scary to hold. I've I've definitely sold you know some along the way, but uh, it's. I agree. The market has developed in a way that's been fascinating. Yes, exactly. So what is your general advice to people in the cryptocurrency space then? A lot of people ask me, um, how, how do you get involved and what's the best place to get involved right now? And there, there's always there's two streams of advice I have for people. One is going down the technical route and one is going down the non-technical route. If you're going down the technical route, I highly encourage people to get involved on the protocol levels, on building actual frameworks, looking up the code. The GitHub repos for Ethereum, Bitcoin, and all major cryptocurrencies and projects are all open source. You can read issues, you can read problems, and they're extremely, extremely welcoming to people to help. And I don't think a lot of developers feel that they could just jump in and start working on things, but they actually can. Uh, and they'll pick it up really quickly. It might be a while before their code's adopted, but they'll be able to pick it up. And then the non-technical route in, there's a lot of different places you can get involved, you know, simply from investing and holding Bitcoin and reading the news. It's just a great way to get started. But more importantly, there's so many projects. There's over 100 token projects right now, some of them with a lot of funding, some of them without a lot of funding. All of them are resources constrained by people that can help. There's, there's not a project out there that wouldn't accept free help um, and a lot of the founders of these projects are 
now notable, you know, big name people. And I think if people want to get involved, they should find a project that they resonate with and just offer to help out in their free time and see where it goes. That's a good answer, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> very, very nice answer. And I, I, I 100% agree. Everybody should start getting involved in it one way or the other, wherever their uh, interest lies or their, yeah, a their lo- talents. Yeah, a lot lies. of people... A lot of people just like reading the news, and that's great, right. but it doesn't actually help push it forward. I would say, making up this number, but I would say 2% of the people are actually pushing it forward. 98% of the people are consuming the news, and it's much more impact- impactful to be one of the people pushing it forward. But this shit is you intimidating, know- man. I mean, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, and that's why uh, Crypto 101 exists, is because when I started to trade crypto i was like man i don't want to lose my money you know 500 bucks or a thousand bucks is a lot of money you know for the average person and it's like it's complicated what would the average person you said you know you know you did say tech and being involved and stuff like that you know help free labor but what if i'm a i'm a bartender i really i'm not in this in the space how can they get involved what do you think so if you're just starting out you know just trying to figure out what cryptocurrency is i think the best place to begin is to start to start reading um, to start reading on Reddit, to start reading on forums, and to start joining in the conversation, just voicing your opinion. And I found, at least, that I learned exponentially faster when I joined in the discussion as opposed to when I just read the discussion. Right. But the Reddit community is extremely welcoming. It's actually a relatively small community despite being you know, one of the main communities. Uh, and same thing with Slack groups. Bloom Slack is open to the public. There's over 2,000 people who have joined in the last two weeks. Oh man, uh, send most- me a link. <laughs> I'll just send it to you. Right. Most Slack groups are well open to the public. I respond to almost every message on there. Uh, personally, or at least somebody from the founding team will. I don't think we're unique in that projects welcome people from novice level. If they ask me what is Bitcoin and where can I get started, I'll respond all the way down to deep technical knowledge on how a particular you know, key management system works in our application. And my, my general advice would be get involved, don't just consume. I, I 100% agree with that. That's amazing. Like what you're doing. This is a, you know, the podcasts and, you know, shows like this are, I think, critical because it's really daunting. It's really intimidating, especially when you have people, you know, like Vitalik and the core infrastructure people essentially pushing the grounds of cryptography and, you know, what it is to be decentralized. I mean, these guys are dealing with some core economics, game theory, code, security. So it makes it seem like the whole system is that daunting. Right. But you know, at a at a pure level, you don't have to understand how uh, how you know nodes on the internet work to send you bits and bytes, and how your processor moves you know data to get to learn how you know to build a website. Right. And so, I think people can get involved at various levels that they feel comfortable with. Cool, man. Cool. Uh, real quick, starting you- with podcasts. That that that's the way I got involved, and that's the way I'm I'm learning and meeting a lot of really interesting people, and like yourself and these. Uh, projects. I just hope that these really interesting people and people like yourself help me spread the word about Crypto 101 and and get pe- more people to my my podcast. Be- we will share every. We, we, and I'm not saying we have a huge audience, two thousand on Slack, a thousand on Twitter, a few thousand on our email newsletter. But you know, for you and anyone else that that has podcasts that are up and coming, we are open to sharing anything, especially if it if it you know talks about us, all the better. Right. <laughs> thank you very much for that. No, I think uh, thank you for having me on the show. I think the way you ask questions, the way you distill it down, is much needed in the community. Um, you know, there's not a lot of places to get started. I love the name Crypto 101, and I think. <laughs> 
uh, you know, to the extent we can be helpful in promoting this and sharing it with our audience, uh, we're, we're totally going to do that. Jesse, thank you very much. I really like to see, you know, people like you out there just doing doing the good work, you know, <laughs> I, and, take it, and, and to be honest, man, this is getting involved with a with a something like blockchain and creating something like bloom with you know within a whole new industry takes balls man <laughs> thank you i mean you're putting your balls in you dropped out of of stanford to do something that has never been done before this is yeah. this is like going to mars and there's a lot of people opposing us too i mean you know oh. we, we're trying to take the side of being the most compliant the most regulatory friendly if there's a law that we can comply with we agree with it right. but that doesn't stop a lot of people from trying to stand in our way which Actually, is pretty, i, I, I do know. have another question now who are the haters yeah who's throwing the hate <laughs> well there, aside from the you know the trolls online that just kind of disagree with everything there's a lot of um especially after the equifax hack there's there's been a lot of there's been a lot of lenders that have been very supportive, but there's been a lot of, you know, lenders and, you know, kind of central actors that have voiced their disagreement that have came on the slack and, you know, expressed that there's no way a decentralized protocol could control something as ubiquitous and global as credit. And we actually welcome those conversations. They, we've actually, some of the best innovations we've had have came from those, mm. but there are definitely people that, that just think there's no way that, you know, Equifax, you know, big credit bureaus, FICO could ever be replaced. And we're trying to, maybe they're right. But we're trying to prove him wrong. Who is and who are the people that you respect in the industry right now? One person and one cryptocurrency. For me, the Ethereum is the best cryptocurrency. It has, okay. it is the most uh, powerful. It has the most opportunity to change the world. It is more than a currency. It is a platform to build entire companies on. And I think beyond the shadow of a doubt, it's going to be the strongest cryptocurrency of the future. Bitcoin's great. I don't think Bitcoin's going away. But to me, Ethereum is everything. All right. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, I think organizations like Consensus are bringing a lot of standards to the industry. Um, but if I had to name one person, it would obviously be Vitalik. Uh, he, he created everything that we're talking about. Right. Last question, and then I'm going to let you go. And I'm going to go get some breakfast. With the episodes, I always ask everybody that's on here, what two songs or three songs they want with their episode? What What are your three? And I'm sorry, I should have asked you in an email, but now you're on the spot. <laughs> what two songs they want with? So are the songs played in the background? Uh, or... The songs are, are played in the intro and the outro, and sometimes I throw a third song in the middle just to piece it up so somebody's not listening to two dudes ramble for 40 minutes. I'd probably say, you know, I, I'm a big fan of electronic music, so something in the electronic music space. Uh, I don't really have any particular oh, recommendations. Come on, man. Give me a, you have to give me some names, man. Are we talking about Dead Mouse or? Yeah, Dead Mouse is great. Cascade is great. You know, um, Shannon, what what music would be good for an intro or an outro? Martin, Martin Garrix. Okay. Uh, Marshmallow. Okay. Slushy. All right. All right. Uh, I'll send you some links. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the interview with Jesse Gruber. And Jesse, if you're listening to this, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a very interesting conversation. I have no doubt Bloom is going to kill it. And thank you, Jesse, again for coming on the show. And like always, you can find us on SoundCloud, Facebook, Tumblr, Crypto 101, Twitter, Crypto underscore underscore 101, Instagram, Crypto underscore 101. Send me an email at crypto.101 at outlook.com. And we're also on a few blogs now. Ross is killing it. Tumblr, uh, WordPress, Crypto 101. 
And we're going to be on Steam it too, I think. Anyway, thank you very much. Today's music was by and picked by Jesse. Marshmallow, Alone, Cascade and Skrillex, Lickit, and Martin Garrix, Now That I Found You. Thank you very much. Matthew Aaron with Crypto 101. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.